Amen. Uh, it's actually a beautiful summation of the message this morning. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 32 today. We're going to be look, talking about confession psalms. In 1987, when I was three years old, Jessica McClure was 18 months old. Some of you may remember the story, and it will reveal how old you are. Uh, she was playing in her backyard. Her mom had uh, took, taken a, a phone call and just stepped away very briefly. And in that moment, in that time period, Jessica fell into a well 22 feet down. Um, and and the, I think the, the moral of the story to me is that if you take a phone call, your child will fall into a well. So be careful, right? Not even texting, right? Uh, but it took a crew of 400 people 58 hours over two days to get Jessica out of the well. And in that time period, it became a national story. Now, it took the rescue team uh, 58 hours, and, and, but they, they, they had to make a critical decision early on when they realized this wasn't going to happen quickly. That they, they knew before they could get her out, they had to get someone down in the well with her. That the, the, first step, the, the first step was to, to make sure that, that Jessica wasn't alone. Yes, she needed to be rescued and come out of the well, but in the meantime, they needed, needed to get someone down there with her, and, and, and they did, just so you know, they rescued her, they got her out, so they didn't want to leave you hanging on that one. Uh, like baby Jessica, maybe you have felt, maybe you do feel uh, trapped, maybe you feel like you're in a dark and, and a scary place where you're all alone. And, and we've experienced those times of isolation in our lives um, where, where we can start to think and even do some strange things, where our fear gets blown out of proportion, uh, where, where our minds can start playing tricks on us and we start doing self-destructive things and maybe even wondering and starting to act as though there is there's no hope going forward. The experts had decided that what Jessica needed first was someone with her in the well, next to her, so that she wouldn't be alone. In 2016, about 30 years after baby Jessica's rescue, I found myself in a, in a similar situation, uh, metaphorically uh, trapped in a well of an addiction to pornography. It was a well that for over 15 years I had been unable to climb out of. I, I knew that I needed a change, and a change needed to happen in my life, um, but I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until um, it felt like I had hit rock bottom that I was willing to invite someone into the well with me. Turned to my friend, my best friend in the world, uh, Jacob. Well, I have two best friends. Sorry, Luke. You guys are both really cool. Uh, we had been friends since we were 10 months old. Or, excuse me, 10, 10th grade. A little bit different. Uh, we, <laughs> it wasn't baby Jessica making friends in the well. Uh, we, we'd been through everything together, right? We, had been, we, we, got, we were in school together. We played basketball together. You know, we were up till 2 a.m. watching infomercials, playing Nintendo 64. Anybody? Yeah, come on. Come on, eating punch bowls of cereal. We, we had been uh, through struggles together, highs and lows. And I knew, I knew in my head, Jacob, I could tell Jacob anything, and he would listen and accept me without any judgment. And yet, even then, it was a scary step to admit it out loud, to say those things out loud to someone else. But I am here to tell you today, and by the fact that I can tell you that today, to say that it made all the difference in the world, and God used it to help me take a major, concrete step forward in my recovery journey. Most of us in this room today, we have a secret or two that, that we, um, we've been hiding. Now, maybe we've hinted at it with people in our lives, close loved ones to us, but, but very likely no one really knows the depths of what's going on in our hearts. 
And those secrets, they can take a toll on us, right? They, they sap our energy. They, they wear us down. They, they, they can, we, we find ourselves in bondage to these habits. But man, to admit them, to, to be able to confess them out loud is a tool that God can use to start stripping those secrets of their power. I've seen it in my own life. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I've seen it in the lives of many others. And I know that it can be a truth in your life as well. And if that's you this morning, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to take heart because David, in the Psalms, the man after God's own heart, he can relate with you. In Psalm 32, he finds, finds himself in this proverbial well, and he wants to share that uh, with us. We're doing a series, um, as Ryan mentioned, a series on the Psalms, calling it a summer in Psalm Springs. It's a seasonal play on words. Come on. Eight, there are eight different categories of psalms that we want to look at this summer. Our hope is that as we, as each individual believers, go back to the word, that we can use these, this series to help equip us for how to read these different kinds of songs, psalms, some of them very difficult to understand or, or know how to apply. Um, we've looked at the wisdom psalms week one. Last week, Pastor Ross took us through the, the royal psalms of, of the psalms that point us to the coming King Jesus. And this week, we're going to be looking at psalms of confession. In your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks. Uh, we've got a list of those, uh, some of those psalms uh, with you for further reading. Those are in our reading plan this week. And, and Psalm 32 addresses some questions that, that many of us are, are asked. I know I've asked. What is confession? What, is, what does that really mean? What are the things that are holding us back from confessing? And, and what is the result of what happens when we don't confess our sins? And, and what happens when we, when we do confess? And my prayer this morning, my prayer this morning is that God would teach us from Psalm 32 how to invite him and others into the well that, that, and find the freedom, the freedom that only Christ can offer from the trappings and the lies and the secrets of our sins so that we can find joy in the backyard with our Father once again. So the first question we want to ask is, what is confession? What does that mean? Well, the English word, confession, two parts, con, which means with, and then fess means to speak, uh, to, to admit. So you put those two ideas together, and it's to speak with, to agree with, or to say the same thing as somebody else. That's the idea of confession. So apply this to my life. When I, when I was a kid, I would do bad things. How could that kid do something bad? Come on, come on. We, I, I would, and my dad, when he'd catch me, he'd go, JB, that's what he called me. My middle name's Blake, Justin Blake. Sound like a boy band, don't I? And he says, JB, or big guy. Right, that's when I really knew I was in trouble. Big guy, do you know why you're in here? Yes. Why? I punched my brother. Right? Yeah, that's true. You did. And I was confessing my sin to my dad. I was agreeing with him that A, I punched my brother, that B, it was wrong to do so, right? Brothers are for loving, not for punching. And, and that C, that I deserved the forthcoming paddling of my little rumpus, right? So I'm admitting that I'm, to confess my sin to my dad was to see it the way he saw it, to say the same thing about it that, that he would say. In Psalm 32, when David confesses his sin to God, this is what he's doing. Verse, verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So what's David doing here? He's seeing his sin the same way that God sees it. He's saying the same thing about his sin that God is saying about it. Now, Oftentimes, when we think of confession, we have to understand it's deeper than just a lip service, that acknowledging with our lips that we did something wrong. Because a lot of times what can happen is we can devolve into just kind of swiping the grace credit card, right? That we acknowledge that we sinned, but Jesus forgave it, right? Yeah, that was bad, God, but Jesus paid it all, right? And just swipe the card and get some air miles, right? And just kind of keep going. But what we find, air miles, get it, because heaven, okay. So it, 
it's seeing our, it's deeper than that. It's seeing the way, our sin the way God sees our sin. So the question, therefore, is how does God see our sin? What is God's take on the things, the, the wrong things that we do? Well, we know, as you read through the Bible, God hates sin, right? He sees it as utter rebellion and disobedience toward him. And in his holiness, in his righteous anger, right, not only does he meet it with wrath, but it also breaks his heart. Not only have we disobeyed as his creation, we've essentially cheated on him as a lover. And what we see here, to confess my sin to my dad was more than just being like, sad or mad that I got caught. That's a lot of times the emotion, right? We're just mad that he found out. But what, what, it's, not, it's not even just to come up to my brother and go, sorry, I punched you, right? Verbal eye roll. Right? I could say these things with my mouth, but I really believe those in my little heart. No, my dad wanted me to believe. He wanted me to believe that, my, that he loved me, and that he loved my brother very much, and that, that, that it both made him mad and it broke his heart when I would disobey him and, and, and hurt my brother. And he, my dad wanted me to trust his guidelines for me. My dad wanted me to follow a path that didn't continue down the road of punching people until I got into the penitentiary doing hard time and making license plates, right? Like he, he wanted to course correct. Confessing our sin to God isn't just regretting its consequence. And it's not just mere lip service and swiping the grace card. That confess it is to say, God, man, I, I agree with you. That sin, that's bondage. That's bondage to me, and it's rebellious slap in the face to you. That I hurt you, I disobeyed you, I hurt others in the process, and it's wrong, it's on me, and I deserve the punishment. That's confession. So what is confession? It's to say, see it, our sin the way God sees our sin. The second question we want to ask is, well, what holds us back? For why don't we confess our sins? I, I can't put words into your mouth. I had some reasons that I didn't confess my addiction. In fact, there was a long time where I wouldn't even had the words to call it an addiction. But for me, there were a couple factors. For me, definitely, it was fear. I was, there was a fear of rejection. That if I was to tell someone, they would go, you did what? Ew, right? Like, get away. Like, and man, you're out of bounds now. You can't serve Jesus. You can't, you're, you're not a good Christian. And, and I thought even if others struggled with pornography, there was no way it was the depths of struggle that I had, right? And they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't get in my well. And I even believed that about my father, God, that, that I believed that he, would, too, would reject me, that my sin was too deep. It was, it was too bad. He forgives a lot, but, but not that, right? There was also pride. There's an easy, there's a pride that, 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 that sneaks in that says, I could beat this if I wanted to, really wanted to, right? It's not that bad. I could stop. It's the illusion that we're still in control. And I found myself rationalizing the things that I was doing. I found myself defending the reasons I was doing it, and I would justify uh, my state. And, and, and really, I would say, well, everybody struggles with it, right? Internet age, just part of being a male, right? And, and it's not hurting anybody, right? I'm an island. I'm not, I'm not actually physically, you know, all these excuses, right? But unlike baby Jessica, I had actually chosen to stay isolated. And I was the one that had to choose to let someone else in the well with me. So pride and fear can hold us back. So what's the result then? What, what happens? The psalmist wants to speak to our reality when we don't confess our sin. And maybe this has been your experience. Verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, when I did not confess... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, you can hear this talk about his bones wasting away. Now, how much of this, I mean, obviously, to some degree, this is metaphorical language. But we also know from our own experience and science that, man, the, the spiritual and the mental can affect the physical, right? Migraines and ulcers. I know when I start getting stressed out, I start getting those cold sores. If you want to know if I'm anxious, I'll just show you my lip, right? I'm doing pretty good today, but sometimes, right? 
We can definitely be affected physically by our spiritual state. But not only was there a physical toll on David, and did he feel that, but there was also a relational toll. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand was was heavy upon me. When I was hiding uh, my pornography addiction, I was burdened with guilt and shame, the paranoia of being found out by somebody. And so if my friends were to come up and just simply ask me, hey, how you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. Why do you ask? I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Right? Okay. I was just asking, right? What's going on there? There's something between them and I from being able to be open and honest with them. And I'll tell you what, the same thing was happening between me and my God. That it was getting harder and harder to pray. It was getting harder and harder to be in the Word and spend sweet time with Jesus because there was this giant elephant in the room that we weren't addressing. This secret was coming between me and my God and between me and other people. And I'll tell you what, it was robbing any joy I had in my walk with Jesus. We see that there's a relational toll. And then, and then finally, look, he says, verse, the end of verse 4, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So I was reading this verse, and I was thinking a couple weeks ago, we had our mission trip down to Haiti, and uh, there were 13 Alaskans who were finding a very hard time adjusting to the 90-degree heat and the 413% humidity, right? Uh, and one day, we, had to, we, had to, we were waiting for some COVID test results, and we're in this sweltering tent outside, and we couldn't do anything. This one kid, literally, Luke, just was laying spread eagle on the wilting grass, right? And we were all just dying. We were just kind of like little baby hamsters with water bottles. Like we, couldn't, we couldn't do anything, right? I could barely lift my arm up to get the, shot, like, to get the test. No, it's, no it's, the test is in the nose, sorry. Um, we, we were, what, 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 were we, what were we experiencing, right? Fatigue. The, 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 the toll that the heat was taking on us. And I can tell you, spiritually, man, we can feel those seasons. I've been in those seasons where we feel dry and fruitless. As opposed to Psalm 1, when he said, man, when we're trusting and obeying the Lord... We're like trees planted by water that are refreshed and renewed and bearing fruit. But when we're hiding, we're not willing to confess our sin. He says we're fruitless and we're, we're, we're taxed and we can do nothing of benefit or joy. And what I found, here, here's where I landed. I had two places I could land in, in this state of unconfession. I could either be hypocritical and just pretend like everything was okay when it wasn't and just lie to God, lie to other people, right? Everything's fine. Or I could find myself in the pit of despair, in the well, saying, God, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want out, but also unwilling to take the necessary steps forward. So this is the result of when we don't confess our sin. But what happens, oh, there I am. Look at how tired, poor Justin. Right. <laughs> what is the result of confessing our sin, right? Well, what's on the other side? What happened when David did confess his sin? What happened when I confessed my sin? What's happened when you have, or if you were, to take that sin and confess it before God? There's five things that the psalm says that happens. The first one is that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the result. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. From cover to cover, the Bible tells story after story of people who have confessed their sin to God. And every time when they truly confessed it, what do they find? His forgiveness, his mercy was more. Maybe you're like Justin, but you don't get it. You don't, you don't know what I've done. Like even your, your pornography thing, that's JV level sin compared to what I've done in my life. Do you remember who's writing this? This is David. 
And, and this is David, when he's, this is not at the beginning of his life, like when he's still innocent, kind of like the precious moments ver- version of David, where he's just shepherd boy playing his harp. David had a little lamb, little lamb, right? That's, this, is, this is David after he had probably, looking at the timeline, after he had forcibly taken another man's wife, and let's just say it probably was not consensual. And then he murders her husband to cover it up. So, so you think that David, his confession of his sin is met with acceptance and forgiveness and open arms, but that we've outsinned the grace of God? I mean, what an arrogance that I can have, that we can have to think that we've outsinned the grace of God. But what assurance, what blessed assurance that we can have that God has forgiven every sin that we have ever or will ever commit. Amen. There's forgiveness when we, as a result. The second result is that we're blessed. We're blessed. Now, we can, we, these words can lose their meaning as we become overly familiar with them. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. We use that word all the time. Blessed. How are you, brother? Oh, I'm blessed. I am blessed. How about you, brethren? Oh, I too am blessed. Thank you for asking it, right? And we kind of, what do we mean by that? What, do, what does that word mean? Well, this word, this, this, this David, in the, in the Bible, whenever there was the word blessed, there's an exclamation point after it. That in the Hebrew mindset, if you're blessed, you are doing cartwheels. You're feeling like this little girl. Come on, right? Like you are. It, the word means to be happy. It means to be content. It means to be satisfied and fulfilled. Life is G-O-O-D. Who? And, and, and what he's saying here, the person who's truly happy, the, the tr- person who's found true contentment and joy is not the person that never sins. That person doesn't exist outside of the person of Jesus. The person who finds joy is the person who has sinned but has found forgiveness. That's where joy lies. And oh, that we would get off our pathetic little sandcastles of self-justification and try to prove ourselves good before other people and God and stand on the mountain peak of the fullness of the joy of the sinner that's been forgiven. Satan whispers the lies. He wants to keep us from that truth. God won't accept you. Other people won't accept you. Hide it under a bushel. Yes, You slap some duct tape on that mouth, that fool's mouth, right? And to let the joy and the blessing of forgiveness wash over you and to cause you to want to do cartwheels and do the whip and the nay-nay. <laughs> I, I did that in Haiti, and these poor little kids who don't have YouTube, right, they thought I was cool. Like, they were mimicking me. They thought I was hip and with it, right? They, they thought I was Justin Bieber, not Justin Frankino. It was amazing. It was amazing, right? You guys know I'm an idiot. All right, so let's, let's keep moving here. We, the results of confession is, is that we're forgiven, we're blessed, and then we're also covered. We're covered. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Now, this is interesting. Here in verse 5, he says, I, didn't, I stopped hiding my sin. I stopped trying to cover it up. But then look at what happens in verse 1. He says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Now, wait a second. Is it covered or is it not covered? Well, we have to look at the context. So in, in the first one, he's talking about hiding it. And here, when he talks about this covering, the sin is being covered, this word can also mean paid for. It can mean paid for. So um, if I was to take you to lunch at, at Michael's, right, because uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> uh, those of you are uh, from Solid Rock. That's our most expensive restaurant we have here, I think. Oh, man, no, Addy Camp. How about that? So we're, we're at Addy Camp, and, and you reach for your wallet to get your credit card to pay. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. I got it. This bill is covered. You've been tithing very well. <laughs> We're good. 
I am going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for it, right? I'm going to cover it. Those who were laughing, I can tell you, you're the ones that don't tie. That's cool. So <laughs> you remember in the garden? You remember in the garden when, when the first sin was committed? Uh, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid their nakedness. Their nakedness symbolized guilt and, and shame. And what was their attempt? They, they tried to cover their sin on their own. They tried to pay for, cover their own sin by, by putting on these fig leaves. Now, did that fool God? See, so like, no, okay, I get you. Haven't you always had the fig skivvies on, right? Did that just, he didn't realize they had been naked, but now they weren't. No, of course not. We can't fool God. Like, you think, God knows everything, like everything we've ever done, and he knows it before we've ever done it, right? He stands outside of time. But what did God do? And I love in that moment, he says, no, 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 take the covering off. You can't pay for it. I am going to provide a covering for you. And he killed an animal and shed its innocent blood to cover the sin, spiritually and physically, of Adam and Eve. There's this beautiful moment that points us forward and certainly starts to paint an image of what's to come, right? So we can either try to hide our sin from God, we can try to pay for it ourselves, punish ourselves, try to work harder, or we can let God foot the bill, which is the result, the next result that he shows, that we're counted as without iniquity. David was counted without iniquity. He says, blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now this word is an accounting term. It means that there's no sin on, on David's account. Because I sinned, but now on my account, it says no sin. Now, wait a second. If God's a good God, if he's a good judge who always is going to, I mean, every sin has to be paid for, right? The payment of sin is death. Every sin has to be accounted for. He can't just say, well, never mind. It's all cool. It's off the record. So what's going on here? Well, this, it's interesting. This psalm, Psalm 32, was a song that was sung. Remember, the psalms are melodies. They, were, they sung this particularly on the Day of Atonement. That word atonement means covering paid for. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies as a representative of the entire nation. And he would sprinkle the blood of this goat that had been killed onto the seat, the covering of the mercy seat, which represented the, 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 the presence of God. And he would symbolically be, be covering the sin, of the, all, the, all the sin that all the people of the whole nation had, had committed that year. Now, now, as a payment of death, it was made on their behalf. And then there was a scapegoat that they would symbolically put their hand on its head and, and drive him off into the wilderness, saying that sin has been removed, has been forgiven, let go. Now, of course, we know these goats can't pay for any sin, right? It was a symbol. It was pointing us ahead to the one who would actually make a covering, a payment for our sin, that we know the story, right? Jesus came into our world, that Jesus Christ entered into our well, in fact, I believe, probably, that's why we call him, wait for it, Emmanuel. Get it? Because he came to dwell with us. And now, now we can say, it is well with my soul. Okay, that's it. We're done. We're moving on. That was the same reaction as the first service. Okay, that's good. Uh, so you and I, we couldn't enter into God's presence, right? We could not, other than the high priest once a year, you walk into that holy of holies, you die. You and I cannot go strutting into the presence of a holy God. But you know what our God did? He entered into our presence. He came to us to dwell with us. And what he provided, the high priest shed not the blood of a goat, but his own blood. He shed his own blood, not on just the behalf of the nation of Israel, but for every tongue and tribe and nation of all people of all time, so that 
What is said in Psalm 32 could be true, that our sins could be forgiven, that, our, that they could be covered, paid for, that our sin could be put on his account, and the risen Savior who was right before God, that righteousness, when we're unified with him, is now on our account. So not only does he look at no debt, he looks at Christ's perfection because you and I are intricately, intimately sewn into oneness with Jesus forever, amen? That's a good deal. So how could, why could God forgive David and still be a just God? Jesus hadn't even come yet, right? So how could he say in that moment, your sins, that's cool, I'll forgive you of that. Oh, Romans 3, this is so helpful. The New Living says it this way. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. David, you, and I, all of us. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. How did he do that? For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe, right, through faith, that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Just like that goat. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair, and here it is. When he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. That's David, right? When those who had sinned before Jesus ever came, he says the reason he could still be just and fair was because for he, verse 26, was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So how was God both just and merciful to David? The answer to that mystery is found in the cross and in the empty tomb. That David was looking forward by faith to the deliverer that would cover his sin, foot the bill, just like you and I look back by faith to that event that happened 2,000 years ago. But the final thing that Psalm 32 says that our confession results in is actually the most important thing. In fact, I think it's the entire point he says, it's, it's to walk with God. It's to walk with God, as he originally intended. Verse 6 says, therefore. Remember, what's the therefore, therefore? Here's application time. In light of the fact that our confession results in forgiveness, so that was David's experience, what do we do with that? Here's application. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This, this great waters was symbolic of judgment. He says, how do we, how do we, how do we find ourselves not judged? Well, he tells us in verse 6, let everyone who is godly, that means has a right relationship with God, offer prayer. That's the, that's the call back to that confession, a prayerful confession of our sin before God. And to do that in a time when you, God, may be found. I'm not trying to scare anybody into anything, but he says there is a day coming when he can't be found by the sinner, a day when it is too late. That each of us die once and then face the judgment, or Jesus could come back at any moment. The godly are not expected to be sinless, but to believe God's promise and to confess, to agree with God what he says about our sin, but also to confess and agree with what God says about his son, our Savior. In verse 7, what we find, he says in verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with, I love this, shouts of deliverance. See, what we find when we come to God with the fig leaves taken off, when we come to him confessing our sin, unlike what Satan wants us to believe, that we would be met with condemnation and rejection by God, what we actually find is deliverance. What we actually find is when our sin is unhidden, we find in him a place not of condemnation, but of hiding. When our sin is unhidden, we can find ourselves hidden in his refuge, rescued from the well. 
And forgiveness is a means to an end. Meaning, forgiveness is not the whole point. It's not just, well, I don't want to be guilty anymore. I don't like the guilty conscience. So God says, cool, you're not guilty anymore. The reason we're forgiven of our sin is to remove the barrier that was between us and God. And it brings us into his presence. That's the end, is to to be in the presence of God. This is what he says in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. We're surrounded by his love. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord. Be glad in his presence and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The only place that you and I are going to find true joy, cartwheeling, whip, and nay-nay joy, is going to be in the presence of our God, both now and forever. So maybe some of you in this room today, you've never confessed your sin to God, and and you've yet to receive that forgiveness. It's freely offered, but it must be received. So I want to invite you into that, the joy of his presence today, through the covering of the blood of Jesus. You can experience the results of confessing sin that David experienced. But what about those of us who have confessed? What about those of us who are believers today? How do we apply this passage? We could ask the question this way. Does the Christian still have to confess sins if they've already been forgiven? So like if we've already come to God and confessed that we are sinners and we're, we're saved by grace, we're now positioned in Christ forever and ever, amen, do we still need to confess sin? We don't need to, God doesn't need to forgive us a second time, does he? What does that look like? Do we as believers still need to confess our sin? The short answer I would say to that is yes. Yes, we do. But want to explain what, what we mean by that. The Christian confesses their sins not in order to stay in relationship with God, not in order to stay saved, but in order to be able to maintain fellowship with God in order to be able to continue to walk in intimacy with our God. So again, go back to my illustration. When my dad called me to confess that I had punched Jeremy, what would have happened if I had not confessed my sin to him? Would I all of a sudden stop being his son? Would we sign some sort of child-parent divorce papers and now I'm no longer a Frankino? I'm just Justin... <laughs> right? I'm a little orphan Annie. Son will come out tomorrow. No, of course, I'm still his son. But it prevents, if I don't confess my sin to him, if I don't come out and be honest and open, and is, is, is there intimacy there? I'm in my room, right? I got my arms crossed and I've got my back turned toward him and I'm not at the dinner table with him and the rest of the family. There's a division in fellowship, in intimacy, not in relationship. First John uses the language this way. It talks about us walking in the light. And, and, and the Apostle John says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So where is God? He's in the light. He's holy, right? And, and so, so he says, if God is in the light, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if God is in the light and we are claiming to be in the light with him, but here we are in the secrecy and unconfessed nature of our sin, we're not walking with God. He says, you're lying. You can't walk in the dark and walk in the light at the same time. So then he clarifies, what does it mean then to walk in the light instead of the darkness? He says in verse 6, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So listen, walking in the light doesn't mean walking in perfection. And what a relief, right? Because my experience as a sinner for decades, as a believer, is that I still sin every day. To walk in the light is not to walk in sinless perfection, 
What does he say to walk in the light means then? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, talking to believers, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John's saying that walking in the light is not sinless perfection. It's confessing the sin that the Holy Spirit, on a daily basis, his light is revealed. What happens when you walk in the light? Things are exposed. He says, as the sin is exposed by the, 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 the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we confess that and we keep walking with God. The way that Psalm 32 says it is, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That we're not lying about our sin. That we're honest with God when we, when we do sin against him. So if I'm driving down the Spur Highway, going 55, 58 miles an hour, right, cruising. Some, some dude, or dudette, I don't know, whatever, they, they cut in front of me, right? Just pull right out in front of me and then slow down to 47 miles an hour. Which is probably my dad, right? Remember we said that's his speed? And then all of a sudden, I just flip a lid. You, burn, burn. You know, I'm screaming at him, yelling every Bible verse that I know, right? And I'm just mad. And the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, whoa, 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 Mr. Anger Management. Let's talk about this. Now, I have two options there. I can listen to him and recognize that that was sin. That was impatience and anger and wrath in my heart. Or I can go, no, no, they were in the wrong. They're the jerk. I'm in the right, and it's fine that I cuss them out. So I have, I have an option at a crossroads there. I can confess my sin and continue to walk with the Lord, or I can stubbornly cross my arms and turn away from him. So the child of God never loses their sonship or daughtership. Our sins have been fully forgiven at the cross forever and ever. Amen. But the child of God can at times walk in the dark, and when the Holy Spirit reveals that sin to us, We can confess it and continue to walk in the light or we can cross our arms, turn away from him and refuse to confess. And what we find is a break in the intimacy of walking with our God. And the cool thing is in verse nine, what he says is is when we confess, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. What we find is when we confess the sin the Holy Spirit does does expose to us, He's also, gonna, he's also cleansing us from all the things that we don't confess. How many sins do you and I commit every day that we're not even aware of? The depths of my pride, my pettiness, my jealousy, my bitterness. How patient is our God with us? What I've come to find is my walk with a believer, I can really identify with Shrek. I got layers, baby. Right? And when he started to expose, when I confessed my, my sin of, of, of looking at pornography, it, it, he, all, he pulled that layer back and goes, we got some more work to do, buddy. Because I was finding that the self-control issue I had in the area of lust was also, I saw it came out in my relationship with food. I didn't even know I had a self-control issue with food. And it started looking at my road rage, right? I mean, all the things the Lord wanted to reveal to me slowly over time, he will be faithful and gentle and true to reveal those layers of sin. So back in Psalm 32, the way he says it, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's going to lead us. Not Listen, this isn't just about not doing bad things. He wants to lead us in the way forward and to do the good fruit-bearing things. In verse 9, it says, Don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. It says, following the Lord, be walking in the Spirit. You shouldn't be constantly pulling like that, like that horse, that untamed horse, right? We should be following, not resisting the Lord's leading in our lives. And guys, this is a process. This does not happen overnight. This is a lifelong process. 
So the last question is, who, who do we confess to? Who do we confess to? Two, two people, then we'll be done. Uh, first of all, we, we confess to those we've sinned against, to those we've sinned against. So in Psalm 51, which is the, David's famous confession after he had um, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered Uriah, Uriah um, he says in Psalm 51, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. And I don't think by that he means I didn't sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. But he says the first place we've got to start with is the one whom we have rebelled against and disobeyed, and that is God. Our sin must be dealt with, with, with the one that we are one with, with God. But then also, we need to confess that sin to others that we've wronged. In Matthew 5, he says, leave your, your sacrifice at the altar and go to the one you've sinned against. So when, when, when I had punched my brother, not only did I need to confess my sin to my dad, whom I had disobeyed, I also had to go to my brother and apologize to the one that I had physically injured, right? So we're called to confess to the ones that we've hurt, God and others. But then we're also to confess to those who can help us walk in the right direction. James 5 says it this way, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He says there needs to be those people in our lives, and we each need that person or two in our lives that we can walk this road with, that we can come to and regularly check in with, confess sin to. Man, where are you at? Where are you struggling? Right? What's holding you up from walking with Jesus how can we be praying for each other? We need those people to be able to, to regularly confess our sin to. Some of us today need to let Jesus into our well and come to him as Lord and Savior. Some of us need to let other people into our well. But it's time. It's time to take off the fig leaves and it's time to be covered in the blood of the Lamb so that we can walk in light in the fullness of joy in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you when we found ourselves in a well of sinless despair and hopelessness, that you did not leave us there, that you did not just give us instructions on how to try to scale the wall, but that you, like baby Jessica, sent someone down into the well with us. And that Jesus came into our place, died with our sins, and then rose again, not just Jesus raising from the dead, but we, believers, have been raised with Christ out of the depths of despair, out of the well of guilt and shame and disobedience and rebellion, into your light. We thank you for the blessing, for the covering, for the beautiful gift of Jesus' forgiveness of our sins. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today that, that need to take that step, that maybe they've had a secret that they're hiding, and the Holy Spirit's poking at them today, and they know they need to take that step. Lord, that you would provide, that you would guide them into who do they need to talk to. Come to you first and foremost. Come to those maybe they've sinned against. Come to those that, that they need help from to find their way forward on the path of recovery. Big sins, small sins. We're all over the place in this room, Father. And maybe those who have never placed their faith in Jesus. That today would be the day to be able to take off the fig leaves and find the covering of the blood of the Lamb. Father, in you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are feared. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's in your beautiful, forgiving name that we pray.